life where they realized they no longer wanted to go through motions, but they wanted to completely sell out and to serve the Lord. As we look at that, uh, we're approaching the month of December. We're in it now, and uh, it's where we talk about Christmas, and uh, man, uh, we're already engaged in Christmas uh, shopping and all for our family. And uh, I want to ask you to be in prayer about how God would have you bless him this Christmas. After all, it is his birthday, and uh, it's pretty rude to go to somebody else's party and bring yourself all the presents, amen? And so I want you to start praying, God, what would you have me give as my Christmas offering? Um, just a little starter kit for you. I would just match whatever your most expensive gift is. Give that to the Lord. You say, you're nuts. Well, uh, yes, I have been accused of being that more than once. And, uh, but uh, there's several things. Uh, one, our Peru. Uh, this isn't the face of children that we got off of a website. But they actually gather every week under the banner of Family of Grace. Many of them we have baptized, just like here tonight. Many of them I have dedicated to the Lord when I was there. And we have about 100 children that are in the, the, the ministry wheelhouse of Family of Grace. Just like here, we meet on Saturday night at another location uh, in Peru, we have two locations, uh, one down in the valley, one on top of the mountain. And uh, just like here, we share our staff at both locations, and there they do the same thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing, uh, these children. Uh, our pastor told us just yesterday, he said, if you can help us for Christmas, it'll be great, but if you can't, it's okay. And uh, what we have done is uh, we have issued a challenge for about $10 a child uh, to, to help have a Peruvian Christmas. And so if you would like to adopt one of these children uh, for your Christmas, uh, $10 will more than cover, not just for a gift, uh, it'll cover for uh, about four Christmas banquets where they share the gospel uh, with their with their parents, as their parents are coming to this. So it'll provide four different locations to have this Christmas banquet-type atmosphere, give the, the kids a, 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 the gospel story of the greatest love story in all the world, and that's the story of Christmas, and uh, also give them a little something to take home. And so if you'd like to help with that, if there's other areas, I mean, you may already have a ministry that, uh, matter of fact, it's not even connected to Family of Grace, but you want to give your offering this Christmas season is part of what we're doing. Uh, many of you have already helped out with uh, Samaritan Purse uh, uh, Christmas and doing shoeboxes and those things. Uh, uh, but there's, there's many ministries, many undertakings that we're uh, doing here uh, at, at our Family of Grace. And maybe you would just like to say, Pastor, I just want to give this gift for Christmas uh, and, and use it however the church is most wanting to do that. Uh, one of the things that we want to do in January is... Uh, God is doing something unique here on Saturday nights. You believe that? I mean, you're part of it. And uh, we, we have spent about six to eight weeks now 
praying over Saturday nights, asking God, what does January, February look like? What does this service look like for next year? And man, we just keep coming back to God's just doing something special here. Uh, When we launched this service in February on Saturday nights, it was for the purpose of connecting new families and launching into a Sunday morning service here uh, on this end of town. And uh, but I am telling you, God's doing something special. I mean, I I, I begin to pray differently. I I believe that, man, we're on the verge of people falling in love with Jesus at a whole new level that they may not have previously been walking with him. I I just believe I I tell you what I was praying about today. I, I remember when I was a when I was a boy, my dad would drag us off to a revival center out in the middle of the woods and they would just have Holy Ghost revival out there. And I don't know how many lives were changed and men were called to the ministry. And I just got to thinking, boy, I wonder if God just might not want to do that right here. I mean, just in the middle of this where it's not about our church, not about your church if you're visiting tonight, but it's about getting with God, getting a word from God and being rejuvenated to, I mean, go out and blaze a trail for him right where we do life and our zip code and, and where we're planted. And one of the things we want to undertake is, uh, uh, man, next year we, we're really wanting to be able to present the quality of this Saturday night service uh, the way we stream our Sunday morning services and to be able to do some things on Facebook with that. And so maybe you want to pray about how God would have you to be part of that. Pastor Lance, thank you, man, for sharing the word last Saturday night. Amen? Did he do a good job? All right. You're welcome. I helped him write that sermon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the great mark of a preacher is when you develop a good sermon, you give it away. And uh, man, uh, thank you for sharing that sermon last week. And we've been dealing with the subject of faith and prayer, going back to that statement that Jesus said, uh, if I go away, you can do greater things. If I go away, you can do greater things than if I remain. Began to talk about believing prayer. Prayer that says, say to the mountain, be picked up and moved in, cast into the ocean. It would be moved if you had enough faith as a grain of a mustard seed. And then we began to move a little bit further. And we went through the Lord's Prayer. And we broke that down. And we looked at how that is a model that we should build our prayer life on. Not necessarily when you're stuck in traffic and talking to God at the red light or, or driving down the highway. But when you are in prayer that we should model our life after that passage of Scripture. It's the foundation that we build upon. It's the walls that we build our prayer life on. And, and God's just doing some unique things with that. And, uh, and you may remember uh, in the very beginning of that when it talked about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about a prayer that's pure. You remember we had a lot of our sermon was devoted to that, about making sure our prayers are pure, of pure heart, that they're not of our kingdom come and our will be done. You know, that's how a lot of it is today, is that, Lord, would give us our kingdom here on earth instead of letting your kingdom come here on earth. Matter of fact, a lot of churches, that's their, their, their building kingdom. They're building their kingdom when God called us to build his kingdom. And, and last week, Lance preached an excellent message on on the two different men that went to pray and, and the, the p- p- position of prayer and, and the, heart, the prayer that God hears. And uh, we were looking at that and uh, a, prayer that is, a prayer that is either seen or a prayer that is heard. Prayer that is heard. I remember when I was, a, I, was I told this story just yesterday when I was a boy. 
uh, they had these two brothers uh, sat next to each other in the church that we grew up in, or when I was a teenager, and uh, and, and they had, it was famous. One of them was famous for going to sleep. Uh, he, I mean, he never, I guess like my father-in-law would say, he never slept through a bad, a good sermon, but uh, he slept through a bunch. And uh, one day the preacher had, uh, he was sleeping, and the preacher had one of those long ministerial pauses, you know how some preachers do, and and uh, about that time his brother nudged him and said he called on you to pray. And all of a sudden he jumped up and started praying in the middle of the sermon. And uh, a prayer that is seen or a prayer that is heard. And, well, what a great job you did. And, and as you, were, you talked about that last week, I began to think about a prayer that is focused. And uh, I want you to look tonight back in the book of Matthew in chapter 6. I've never seen this before. I love the Sermon on the Mount. Can't tell you how many hours that I have spent studying the Sermon on the Mount. But I have missed this in all my years of studying it. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. And he goes through the model prayer that we should build the framework of all of our sermons on. I mean, our prayers on. And, and then he moves, he moves in, uh, deals with forgiveness, and then he moves into a couple of different subjects. Now, here's what I understood of this, is that Jesus was, gave a Sermon on the Mount, and, and I really, and I, as a matter of fact, I've preached, this, this, preached it this way, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm, not, I'm saying I don't think I fully understood the context of what he was really saying. You see, because I always thought now he's moving into a whole different subject about fasting. And then he moves into a whole different subject about money and possessions. And then he moves into a different subject about being anxious and having anxiety and worrying. And then he moved into judging and asking and seeking and knocking that the door may be open unto you. And I, I, I have looked at that as a bunch of different... Sorry, matter of fact, I've probably preached them all. Is different sermons over the last 20 years. But what the Lord showed me over the last week is that you got to remember this is one sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It didn't say it was called the Sermon Series for the next six weeks on the Mount. It's the Sermon of Sermons. And it's a seamless transition. So here's what I want to do. I want to, read, I want to read it for you, and then I want to come back tonight and make a couple of points on this. So here's what he says, picking up in verse 16. Now remember, he just talked to them about how to build your prayer and don't have unforgiveness in your heart because that's a wall between you and your prayer. And then here's what he says. Whenever you fast, <clears throat> don't be like the hypocrites who make sad faces. And they're very unattractive in what they're doing. And their faces is obvious. I mean, it's obvious to all the people of what they're doing. And he says, I assure you that is their reward. And then he moves on and he says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and then wash your face. Clean yourself. So that you don't show your fasting to people, but to the Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. In secret. Now, 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 I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, so let me just make a point. 
You see, I believe a prayer that is passionate, a prayer that is filled with purpose, a prayer that is desperate is a prayer that fasts. Now, I'm not saying you should fast about everything, but I'm saying if it's important, you ought to fast. I ought to fast. And when you think about that in this context, what he is saying is if you are focused and you are desperate, you will do whatever it takes. I remember one time I was a, a lady like many times, wanted help with her some finances and paying her rent, and she was about to be evicted. And, and, and I went to see her to see how she was and, and get a plan. And, and uh, man, I went in there, and there was a, a at that time, it was a 60-inch TV. That was about the biggest one you could get. It had a Xbox there, had cable TV, and just, I mean, just all the bells and whistles. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But she was asking me for money to pay her rent. And I said, well, have you exhausted every measure to pay your rent? She said, yes, sir, I have exhausted every measure. I said, well, now, you know, you could sell that 60-inch TV and that Xbox, and you could probably cover a couple of months with just the stuff in this living room or take it down to the pawn shop. She said, oh, well, I, there's, I, I can't do that. My kids need that. And I said, well, are you desperate to keep a roof over the head of your children, or are you desperate... To give, keep them a TV that's not hooked up and you watching it outside. You see, what she was telling me is, I want you to do something for me, but I'm not willing to pay the price. I'm not desperate enough. See, I believe we have a lot of people that want everybody else to fast for them. They want everybody else to get still and pray for them. Matter of fact, their number one request is, hey, brother, will you pray for me? They want everybody to pray for them, but they're not even willing to pray for themselves. I'm telling you that if you're at a crossroads in your life and you're at wit's end corner and you don't know what to do, maybe tonight you ought to try fasting. Now, my sermon tonight's not on fasting, so I'm going to move on from this point. But what I'm saying, what I'm trying to put down that I hope you pick up is that if you need a job, if you're believing God for something miraculous, maybe you ought to get desperate and try fasting. You say, preacher, has it come to that? Well, maybe it has. How desperate are you? Now he moves on in verse 19, which is really where I want to get my message. And he says, don't collect for yourself treasures on earth. Where a moth and a rust can destroy. Where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourself treasures in heaven. Where a moth nor a rust destroys. And where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now we think that, I, I, I always thought, okay, he's transitioning away from prayer at this point. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And so if the light within you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? Now, 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 they, now if you're looking for something to tweet out tonight and hashtag, that's a, that'll get some conversation started. If the light within you is dark, how deep is the darkness? And then he moves on and he says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so as we look at this, he, he's teaching us this, and he moves into verse 24. Now, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. 
He'll either hate one or love the other. And be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. This I'll tell you, verse 25, don't worry. Don't be concerned about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing. Stay with me. Verse 26. Look at all the birds of the sky. They don't sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them every single day. Aren't you worth more than they to me? Verse 27. Can any of you add a single cubit, which equals 18 inches roughly, to your height by worrying about it? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the lilies of the field grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and burned up tomorrow, won't he do so much more for you? Why do you have such little faith? I'm almost done. Stay with me. So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or where we will work? For the idolaters eagerly seek all things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow, it'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, if you stay in the context of this, you go into chapter 7. Now, you've got to remember that the Bible was not written in chapters. That was done later by humanity, so that it was a flow of reading. And then he comes back, and I'm not going to preach on this because I preached on it a couple of weeks ago. In verse 7, he talks about keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. All these things will be added unto you. Now, now, now the Lord just showed me this, or I'd have preached this series in a different order. But here's the thing I want you to understand. It's a seamless conversation, sermon about prayer. He comes out of the structure of prayer and he says, when you're desperate, you need to fast and pray. And then he moves into the next phase of it. And he starts talking to them, which makes us think it's something completely different, but it's really not. He starts talking to them about collecting for yourself treasures on earth. What got me thinking this, I will share with you a little bit later. My wife and I, in traveling last week, we heard a statement and we talked about it for most of the trip. And I read, I heard that statement and I read it in the context of, these, of this passage and it really messed with everything I had been preaching for 20 years. And the statement was this, if God answered your prayers, would it affect anyone other than yourself? If God answered your prayers... Would it change anybody else's life other than your own? And I thought about this verse, don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but put your treasures in heaven where your heart is. 
For where your heart is, there you will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I started thinking about that, and I was thinking about that in the context of the next verse. This, these next two verses, Pastor Joey's always confused me a little bit because he moves into this eye and soul and lamp and window, and I'm like, I've always thought, what are you talking about? And then I thought about that passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 2 where it talks about all the things of the world, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And how the eye is what leads us astray. And so I, I was thinking about this, and when I want to ask you this question, I want you to just, it's kind of a, a, a prayer examination tonight. And, and I, I took the examination earlier in the week, and I, I flunked it, so I had to do some repenting and some realigning and getting things in line with the Scripture here. So I hope you'll do better than me tonight. But it says, do we focus on what is seen or what is unseen? Now let's just stop right there for a moment. When you start praying, Ask yourself, do I spend more time praying about things I see or things that I do not see? That's a tough one. I mean, we see failing health. We see failing relationships. We see people struggling with uh, addictions or things of that order. You see it affecting their life. You know, we, we see many things... We, we see the new job we want. We see the new house we want. We see the new thing we want. Are we, are we spending more time praying about the things that we see or about the things that we don't see? Why does a person struggle with addiction? Well, because there's something in their life that's broken. And that power of the addiction is greater than the other power within them. Therefore, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood is what Jesus said but against principalities. When we're praying for somebody who's struggling with addiction, are we praying more for what we see? How their life's a wreck? How their family's embarrassed? How they're struggling with all this? Or are we praying against a principality that is waging war against the soul of that person? I, I, just a thought. And I, I could break this on down, but you're picking up what I'm putting down. And what he's saying tonight is this, are you, are you seeking the treasures here? Have you ever had a treasure? I have. I, I went into the ministry and uh, for some reason, I guess because I was the preacher, I ended up with all the family Bibles. I got my grandmother's Bible on my dad's side and I got my grandfather's Bible on their side and there's a Catholic Bible and the Catholic Bible was literally a family Bible and it's about this wide and about that long. And uh, it's a sword, a cannon. I mean, it's huge. And uh, the, the, uh, uh, probably uh, 12 years ago, the, the church I was pastoring burnt, and my office was right above where the fire started. And, and my family Bibles burned. They caught on fire. They, they burned. They burned up. Not up completely. I still have them but they're no longer really usable. But I still hold on to them because they're a treasure. I remember one time my, my dad gave me a, a twenty two rifle and it was that great time of the year where the squirrel season had just started and so we went fishing and, and uh, uh, I, I brought my rifle with me 
And I said, you know, I'll fish, and if, if the fish is not biting, then I can do a little squirrel hunting. Well, fishing was so terrible, uh, my boat ended up breaking, and I, I was so disgusted that I, I threw the rifle. Uh, the rifle was in the rod box, and I, I came back home and, and unhooked from the boat, and I was just disgusted. Didn't think about it for a long time later, and I went out there to get something after my, out of my boat, and, and there was the rifle that my daddy gave me in the rod box that was full of rust. No, no longer had value. Oh, I, I, was, I was sad. And I remember I had to take that rifle and strip it all the way down and get somebody to come back and re-blue it and go through the whole process. Where, where is our treasure? See, you can't protect it. You can get a security system. Look, I, I could see, preach here all night about stuff I've either had stolen or burned up or, or destroyed by rust or moths. I remember one time, man, I, you know, I, let me tell you about moths. They don't like cheap suits. If you never had an expensive suit, let me just tell you, you better secure it. You can have four, back in the day when I used to wear them all the time, I mean, I, I could have four suits in my closet that was cheap, and I could have four that was expensive, and they would gnaw on the ones that were good quality. Even moths like steaks. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I had, I had garments that were destroyed by moths. Possessions that was destroyed by fire, by rust, by thieves coming in and stealing them. Stealing them. Taking them away from me. I could give you example after example. And Jesus says, what are you praying the most about? What are you believing me the most for? Are you believing me more for a promotion? Are you believing me more for a new house? Are you believing me for more for more things here? Are you believing me for what you can see? For what you can touch? For what you can taste? For what you can hear? Or are you believing me for something that is greater than you are? For something that is unseeable? For something that you feel like is unattainable? That is out of this world? I can tell you that when you go to war... When you pray, you believe God for miracles and He lets them come to know Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that when you see a lost sinner come back to Jesus Christ, I'm telling you that that is a spiritual warfare and you're laying up for yourself treasure in, in heaven. What is seen with the eye or what is felt with the heart? God answers focused prayers, but what are they focused on? Go back to the other. He said, in the beginning of the model prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, how holy, how awesome is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize, before we ever prayed for ourselves, he says, I want you to pray for heaven on earth. I mean, we're wringing our hands and we don't know what to do. and We don't know who to boycott next as believers. And we're thinking that a boycott's going to fix it. I'm telling you, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We see people, we see the heart of men lately in our country and women in our country that is being revealed and is shocking people all across this nation. And they're saying, I can't believe that person would do that. Why not? The heart is desperately wicked and no man can know it. The only thing good within me is Jesus Christ. And I want you to know tonight, what are we praying for more? What are we concerned about more? What's the next boycott going to be? What's the next hoorah going to be? What are we going to pick up? Or can we believe God? God. Can we believe God? 
God that he's got a plan for you? Can we believe God that he's on his throne? Do you believe that he's attentive to your heart? Do you believe that he's attentive to your prayers? Are you praying more for what you see or what you feel in your heart? Now, let me move along here. The next thing is uh, a good way to examine your prayer is what, what consumes your time. And here's what he says. I put this passage of scripture in from 1 John in there in chapter 2 where it says, Do not love the world, the things that belong to the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the, the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. Passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. Where's your treasure at? Where's your treasure? What's the most valuable thing? And then what you can figure out what's the most valuable thing by what consumes your time the most. You know, I think the most unique thing here that we have going on on Saturday nights is uh, it's not Sunday. I remember when we started Family of Grace on Saturday night some 11 years ago in January and uh we had rented a little spot there across from the uh, Cajun Landing Hotel in that little shopping center across the street. And, and uh, there had not been a new church start in Alexandria in 25 years. And uh, one Sunday morning, I, I, I woke up and uh, a church in Pineville uh, had split. And they were meeting over, which was then the Akana Lodge. It's no longer there. It's gone. It's a piece of concrete there. They were meeting there. And then the next Sunday, there was another church in Pineville that had split, and they were meeting at the Best Western. And I remember standing at the door, the windows, the whole side of the church was windows, and man, I just prayed somebody would show up. I mean, we started with 12 people, I'm just saying, God, please let somebody show up tonight. And, and I was standing there, and I, we were still meeting on Saturday nights, and I said, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I told this to the Lord. God, there hadn't been a new church in 25 years in Alexandria, and now you done put two across the street from me. What are you doing? And he said, son, do you not think I knew those were going to split before you ever started? Do you think it caught me off guard? And he said, I called you to be faithful. And when God speaks to you that loud, you just respond by, say this with me, yes, sir. I said, okay, Lord, I'll be faithful. Back in those days, I think the only thing that really protected us was we met on Saturday nights. People that will run at the first sign of heat, they're not really going to show up on Saturday nights, church. <laughs> I had some friends that were pastoring churches at that time, had some 60 people come into their congregation in one morning. And there was about 20 of us in our little holy huddle. I, you know, I thank God for that Saturday night service because it kept... The flies out of the ointment is what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, you got 20 people and 60 come in. All of a sudden, they're, they're more than the majority now. But see, when you're here on Saturday night, you're hungry. You're looking for God to do something. It's more than church to you. You know, we've been having conversations about do we go to Sunday morning? Do we not quit having Saturday nights? And almost all of you that are part of doing both services have been like, we don't know what to do. We don't want to give up on Saturday nights. Why? 
Because you're experiencing something here that you're not experiencing any other time. And God is growing us together and we're worshiping and we're maturing and we're becoming rejuvenated and we're becoming energized in a way that it just can't really happen on Sunday morning. Why? Because you want to be here. You're not here out of duty. You're not checking the box. You're not just coming. You know your mama's going to be calling you if you don't show up on Sunday morning saying, why weren't you in church? It's Saturday night for the love of God. You're hungry. What consumes your time? Seeking God. Looking for God to move. Here's what he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. If you look that up in the Greek, it means to give oneself up. You can only give yourself away to one person. Only one person can own the title deed to your life. Who's it going to be? And he goes on and he says, uh, you'll either hate one and love the other despise one and you here's what he says and you can't serve god and money for you king james folks it says mammon let me translate that for you it means what's jingling in your pocket which is nothing anymore it's a piece of plastic your prayer life is it more focused on what you can get or what you can give is it more focused on you me myself and i or others What gets your time? What do you spend most time praying about? That's why I put this in here. What consumes most of your prayer time? So when you're starting to pray, just say, well, when you're praying, you get through praying. If you've prayed for a long time, which the average Christian would be about three minutes, uh, when you get through, how much of that three minutes is, was on, when you look at the structure in Matthew 6, on adoring God, on seeking his kingdom on earth, uh, when you look at that passage of Scripture when he talks about seeking our supplications later, what, what, what was most of that three minutes spent on? There are some people that I know in my life, I love them to death. I really hate to talk to them. I got this one friend, he was a mentor in the ministry, and uh, I think he gave up on me when my life was broken. But every time you see him, you know, he never asked you about himself. The whole conversation is about what God's doing in his life. Which is great. I'm glad to know all that God's doing in his life. But everything, the whole conversation is centered around him. I've got friends that litter the countryside that are like that. Not just one. There's preachers that are like that. There's salesmen that are like that. There's The whole conversation's about them. And sometimes I just want to say, okay, after 15 minutes, can we talk about something? Hey, don't have to, we don't have to talk about me. But can we just talk about somebody else? Does anybody else know, in here know anybody like that besides me? A few, a few, or two or three of you, okay. See, what consumes the time in our prayer life? About what we can give God? Or God, what can you give through me? What can you give through me? Some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, Preacher, I don't have anything extra to give this Christmas season. Then can I issue you a challenge? Won't you do this? Won't you say, God, would you let me bless somebody else this Christmas season? Would you give me an unknown gift so that I can give it away to you, Lord?
You're trying to figure out how you're going to finance all your children's stuff and your family stuff. What if you were just in the midst of that? Say, God, would you just bless me with something that's unknown so that I can give it away? I remember when Brian gave us two vans from over there at the Hell South Hospital. Uh, I got in there and I, I cranked it up and the song on the radio was, I give myself away. Give myself away. So you can. I started having a Holy Ghost fit in that van at the hospital. I'm glad nobody was looking. I'm like, look at this. The van was singing to me. I give myself away. It's not coincidence. It's a God dance. God did that. Well, let me give you the next thing here. And then he says, I. What about your thoughts? How many of you ever start praying? I talked about this early on when we started dealing with prayer. And I know some of you are thinking, are you ever going to quit preaching on prayer? Well, I guess if I ever get it right, I will. (laughs) God's still working on me. But, you know, I told you uh, one of my illustrations early on was when I'm praying, when I'm preaching, I never end up in the back 40. My mind never drifts away in the back 40. I mean, I'm in the zone. But let me get down there and get still and start praying. All of a sudden, I'm leaning in on it. Boy, I'm having communion with God. And before you know it, I'm somewhere else, chasing somebody else down, some other thing, looking for a deal and wondering what we're going to eat. What consumes your thoughts when you're praying? Do you spend most of your time in your prayer life wringing your hands, hoping that maybe God can go into a double overtime and kick a field goal and win the course of your life? Or do you go into your prayer life with a mind that is full of peace, with a mind that is full of strength, with a mind that is full of joy, with a mind that is filled with confidence and saying, I believe that he who begun a good work in my life will complete it no matter what the world says. I believe that my God shall supply every need I have according to his riches and his glory. I believe that he can do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever think or I could ever ask. I believe that because he went away that I can do greater things. Or maybe like that one sermon in Romans 8 when you come to God and you're so heartbroken and you're so devastated like some families I know this week that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you don't know what to pray and you just come and say, God, all I can do is groan. All I can do is cry out, Lord. But in the Holy Spirit, my Bible says, will make intercession for me with utterances that I can't understand. I guess that's a little bit like speaking in tongues and it may wig out some Baptist folks, but I want you to know God said he can do for me through the power of the Holy Spirit what I can't do for myself. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Do we approach his throne with boldness? He said I could come boldly before the throne of grace. He didn't say come in there cowering down. Is it okay to come in? He didn't say I had to wait for him to lay out the golden scepter for me to approach his throne. Are you hearing me, church? 
He didn't say he had to wait for somebody to usher me into his presence. He said that I, because of what he did on the cross, because of what he did in the heart of the earth, because of what he did through the power of the resurrection, he said, I, a broken, wretched, hell-bound, sanctified, blood-washed, heaven-bound, now saint of God, could come boldly before the throne of grace that I might find help in my time of need. Now, when you pray, do you pray that way? Or do you get down on your knees and say, Now, God, I'll make a deal with you. Lord, if you meet this need, I promise I'll do this forever. Do you think that God is so mean that he's trying to bargain with you? He's not a swap shop. He's not looking to trade. He's looking for you to be a child that comes before the heavenly father and says, God, your word says, your word says. One of the greatest books is written by Beth Moore and it's called Praying God's Word. Where it just takes God's word and says, pray this, pray this, pray this, pray this. You don't know how to pray? Pray his word. Just get his book. I mean, right here. Lord, your word says right here. Just pray it. Lord, your word says that, Lord, you care more. You care so much for the birds of the air and the grass of the field and it's here today and gone tomorrow. But, Lord, your word says that you care more for me than that. What consumes your thoughts? If he takes care of the birds and he arrays all the lilies of the field, that there are thousands upon thousands of varieties of lilies. There's daylilies, lilies, there's stargazer lilies. And can I tell you, they're not even in the same league. There's so many lilies that are so beautifully arrayed for just a season. For just a moment. And he says, don't you think I love you more than them? So would you quit worrying? Would you quit worrying? And would you turn the table around and put the responsibility on God and take it off of yourself? In other words, let me give you an example. If you're praying about a new job or a new business or a new venture or a new neighborhood, then test the motives of it. Are you praying, Lord, move me to this place, Lord, align me with this? So that I can use that new platform as a way to turn around and bless you. I used to, uh, at one of the church I pastored, those guys loved to bass fish all the time. And uh, I told this one guy, I said, look, if you'll just start using that boat for ministry, God will pay for it. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if you'll quit trying to put the man in the boat with you who can win the tournament and put a man in the boat with you, you can never get to church so you can become his friend and rub off on him and begin to tell him about what God is doing in his life. I believe God will supernaturally find a way for you to, him to pay for that gospel track because that's what it becomes then, a gospel track. You say a bass boat could be a gospel track. Well, if you use it right, you say you're nuts. Well, I, I agree with you. But if you want that and you say, God, use this for your glory. Lord, use what I, Lord, 
Lord, you realize that's the, when he begins to give you the desires of your heart. Like he said in the Old Testament. Because the desire of your heart then begins to become more about the other person than it becomes about you. And then you're not wringing your hands saying, oh God, how am I going to do this? Oh God, oh God, I hope this is it. I think this is it. It might be it. And we're running around like we're blindfolded and just grasping at stuff in the air when we need to come to God and say, Lord, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust you. Give me a word, God. Let me trust you, God. Let me hear from you, God. And Lord, my prayer time is going to be consumed with thoughts about your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, in my life as it is in heaven. Well, there's a transformation for that prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. We wonder why in the world the world is going to hell and falling apart at the seams and it's because we don't have the kingdom of heaven being manifested through the lives of the believer. I'm personally not concerned. I'm not upset that a carnal man lives by carnal ways. I'm concerned that people that call themselves the bride of Christ, that their wedding garment is wrinkled and spotted and is losing its testimony. Well, I didn't come here to preach on that tonight, so I'll move on. But let me ask you this question. Riding down the road, we hear this statement. If God answered my prayers, would it change anybody else's life? Think about your prayer life. May our life be consumed with trust. With trust. With trust. When I was a kid, we used to sing an old hymn. And it said, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey. Trust and obey. If I go away and you trust me, you can do greater things than if I stay. If you trust me enough as the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, be moved, and it would be moved. If you trust me and you pray for my kingdom to come and my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'll provide for you. Do you think that I'm so busy providing for the lilies all over the world that I don't have time to provide for you who was created in my image? Just this week, another family lost their job and they asked if we could help them. And after I talked to them for a while, they called me back and said, Oh, please don't tell my mom. That I need help. I don't want to burden her with my problems. I said okay. And I said to myself. Self. One or two things has happened there. <clears throat> They've either gone to the well so much. And messed up so much. That they think their parents have run out of. Help. Which sometimes they need to. You need to quit enabling and. Figure out how do I strengthen them and help them by not just giving to them. Or they're just so prideful 
they're not even willing to go to their earthly father. But Jesus says, whatever you have need, whatever you ask for, would you come and say, our father who's in heaven, who is so awesome, so big, so strong, so mighty, so holy. Would your kingdom be manifested in my life as it is in heaven? And Lord, you know what I need today more than I need it myself. More than I know it myself. So Lord, would you give me what I need for this day? And Lord, would you forgive me? And that's where you confess the stuff in your life. Or where I've messed up. Lord, would you let me trust you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. As we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And oh, by the way, God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Can I get a witness? Amen. What is your prayer life consumed with? The time of your prayer. What, what consumes your prayer time? What you see or what you believe? See, faith is not a leap into the dark, but it's a step into the light. The only thing I have ever seen in the natural that can explain what faith is was when they came out with these new coolers at Walmart. And when you walked down the aisle, they'd start lighting up. And when you would leave the aisle, they'd go dark. There's just enough light for the door that you're in front of. And that's how our Heavenly Father is. It may be dark when you put your foot out, but when you put it down... There will be just enough light for the step that you're on. Would you trust him tonight, church? I wonder if some of you would take a, a, a Christmas challenge as unbelievable and examine your prayer life. The amount of time and what you're spending it praying on. What you're spending trusting him. Are you just going through the motions in your prayer life? Just, just going through it? You ever find yourself, I remember when I was younger, I'd find myself, I'd just pray the same thing. You know when I knew my prayer life was bad? My grandma died, and she was sick for a long time, and I prayed for her for so long that I was praying for her even after she was gone. It was just such a habit. Lord, Lord, I pray for Momo. One day I called myself, I was like, she's not even here anymore. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Let's preach true. This is your altar tonight, whether it's your first time or you've been here every time. Maybe you just want to get to this altar and say, God, help me to take this passage and let it feed my soul because I'm tired of going through the motions in my prayer life. Father, in Jesus' name, have your way. And all God's people say, amen.